So welcome to the AdaptX podcast, where we have conversations with individuals who are building accessible and inclusive businesses or products, advocating for inclusion or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather amplify their ideas and voice uh, so we can help other people become more inclusive and accessible in their work as well. Today, I'm joined by Brad Clark of BC Adaptive Fitness. Um, They have in-person classes out in California for individuals with disabilities, as well as online offerings as well. Brad, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. Uh, so maybe we can take it back to um, your education background and kind of university. Uh, as you were studying in school, uh, is there a specific direction that you kind of expected your career to go into? Okay, so it's a it's a great starting point because when I when I first started all this, it was it was obviously it was just an idea, but originally. Um, so basically, I did plumbing for seven years before I did any of this. And but I also volunteered at a camp called Rad Camp since I was about 15 years old. And when I was 19 years old, I'm in this uh, I'm out there I'm volunteering at Rad Camp and I see about 130 individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Two out of three of them were overweight or obese. And I knew that 99% of them have underlying health conditions. And my sister's one of them. And I was like, these, these guys got to move. They got to start moving. And I was like, what? I was like, so I started thinking, I was like, okay, maybe if we can get them involved in some kind of gym or something. And so I started looking at places for them to work out and I couldn't find anything. I was like, huh? I was like, well, I love working out. I love working with people with special needs. And then so literally like the, the day I thought of that, I was like, I, get, I don't think I slept for like two days. My mind was racing. I was just like thinking of all these things. And um, I ended up uh, already at this point, I already dropped out of college and I went and then, so I went back to college and I started at like math one, English three, whatever at community college and ended up working through, got my undergraduate at Cal State Fullerton in kinesiology. And in my undergraduate, I uh, actually met uh, my advisor, Dr. Daniela Rubin. And through my process of my undergraduate, There were people that were interested in working with people with special needs, but most people were looking for occupational therapy and physical therapy that were interested in working with uh, people with special needs. Um, But no one was looking to try and create, uh, like, or work with a, maybe like um, uh, some kind of either gym or create some kind of system where people with disabilities are able to work out continuously and not just work on, like, fine motor things as well as work on fixing injuries. And um, yes, those obviously are important, but making sure that individuals just have access to exercise as a regular regiment, like we all do, is important. So um, in my undergraduate, I ended up doing a little bit of research. Uh, and then when I finished with my undergrad, I was trying to uh, figure out if I wanted to do a physical therapy route or a, a master's of science route. Um, and so I ended up going with the master's of science, uh, strictly because I was trying to create something new instead of, um, trying to maybe cause like, well, it may, I'll make it, I'll simplify it. Like when my thought process at the point was like, okay, phys- physical therapists, they fix people. I was like, we're not trying to fix individuals with disabilities. We're just trying to improve their quality of life. So 
I was like, okay, I'm gonna do masters. I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and see if we can come up with something cool. Um, and in my uh, in my masters program, COVID screwed up everything. First of all, so ended up uh, adding another year to that. And uh, originally, what we we're gonna do is a uh, in person intervention uh, for like a group class for individuals with disabilities, uh, intellectual and develop- intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we narrowed it to just people with Down syndrome. And then, um, and then we ended up with, with COVID happening. We ended up doing an online intervention, and we uh, created something like an at-home progressive uh, resist- resistance training for adults with Down syndrome. And so, we uh, we created it was a it's a I believe it was a ten-week intervention, and basically it was like the the exercises progressively increased. So it was actually pretty cool. So what we did is we actually so for for example for like a sit to stand exercise we would shoot the exercise at 14 repetitions for the video for the actual film but for weeks 1 and 2 we would only show six repetitions and weeks 3 and 4 we would we would bump it up to eight repetitions and we would continually progress and then we did that for a bunch of exercises and making sure that individuals would be able to get a full body exercise every time they came and uh, hopped onto our video so um, that was pretty cool i actually enjoyed that a lot the um the people we used to film it, we was one of them was my sister's. She was one of the models because we felt it was very important that individuals with Down syndrome were actually models for the exercise, so that when people with Down syndrome are trying to go to do it, they see someone like themselves and say like, "Hey, I, that person is doing it. They look like me. I can do it." So we actually used two neurotypical people, a male and a female, one being me, and then. Uh, Two individuals with Down syndrome, male and female. So it was a it was a it was a pretty cool experience. You know, despite the COVID that messed up a bunch of stuff, we made the best of it. Yeah, you said a lot of things in there that kind of echo uh, some of the things we look at. Like one that adaptive fitness doesn't have to be reserved for physical therapy. A lot of our young adults and older adults with disabilities find it motivating to be in an environment that's like you said not rehabilitative but performance oriented. Uh, So I think that is definitely a way where strength conditioning can hopefully kind of bridge that gap. And there just needs to be more facilities that are willing and uh, competent in terms of accommodating people with different needs. Um, But is uh, so you had your master's degree project that revolved around this. Uh, Did it then like transition into what you do now is is uh training people with disabilities the only population that you work with now or do you kind of work with uh with various groups um so basically so uh, it's, it's a good question because what we did in my master's program it's we just literally transfer it all over to what we do in my business and we just um i think we almost use the pretty close to the exact same warm-up it's a it's a full body warm-up and it's almost designed as like a superset warm-up so like you'll like target your upper body like say so for example like the beginning of the warm-up starts with small forward arm circles big forward arm circles goes to high knees and then back up to low uh small backwards arm circles big backwards arm circles the butt kicks so we're it's really uh we really try and optimize the um physiological aspect of uh, muscular strength and endurance so when um, we are training individuals, we always try to make it as efficient as possible. And then actually, to, I'll go back to answer your same question. 
we um we do train we train pretty much anyone like we have neurotypical we have individuals with uh, autism down syndrome cerebral palsy so like uh yesterday actually i go this is most of the people they come to me but i do have one client and he was really my second client ever when i, when I started and his name is jay and this is actually a pretty cool story so uh, so jay um he so he has quadriplegic cerebral palsy spastic cerebral palsy to be specific and he is, is, is pretty severe but mentally he's he's like he's there he knows what's up he knows what's going on um he has also something called a wind sweeping hip so for maybe someone who's listening that's what happened is when like so basically your torso is facing forward and both your legs are like one to, to the side and they're kind of affixed there um his mom reached out to me and she's like brad i don't know what's going on jay has had three or four spasms in the past five months so bad that he's had to go to the ER every single time. And this dude's freaking, he's, he's tough as hell. Like, so like if he's talking about being in pain, it's something serious. Um, so for him to go to the ER, that's like, when I heard that and I've known Jay, uh, for, I know Jay from rad camp. So I know him since I was 15 years old when I started volunteering for that camp. So I've known the guy for a long time. Um, so when I heard he was in pain, I'm like, Oh shit. Like he's, it's serious. And so, uh, basically I went in there and like this time I was, I was like still forming the business, still forming protocols, still putting things together. And I was just honest with her. I was like, I was like, not really, I told her, I was like, I'm not really sure what to do, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to just give my best shot. I'm going to try and analyze the situation. And my best theory was that since his wind sweeping hip was something that he's been dealing with, I, I my what my guess is, is that his neurological system was trying to correct his hips and trying to put him in a neutral position. Um, straight up massage fixed everything. He, the, the doctors, they put him on all these pain pills, they put him on the GI pills. And I think after like four weeks of massage, only one time a week, got him off all the pain pills. And so, and like something that might be interesting to you and some listeners is that when people that have spasticity, on the level of tonicity, when it's reduced, we actually found, so like the level of spasticity was reduced and bringing tonicity to more of like a normal tonicity instead of spasticity. We actually found that he was able to have way better motor function. So once we got his legs and pain under control, we actually started, I just started doing massage on his upper body. He went from when he got his haircut, someone having to hold his head up to actually gaining control of being able to postural control his cervical sign and that was straight up just from massage then like he's not able to necessarily exercise so there's a there's a lot of cool things that came out of that that's awesome yeah and so the classes like is that more of a personal training versus the group classes and then you guys also do do some small groups so um so right now we have uh five group class locations so as you're, as I'm sure you're familiar with, individuals with disabilities are not able to access things as well as most people. So what we do is we actually do pop-up locations. So we actually have kind of Northern Orange County, um, kind of on lock. And so we'll do group classes in that situation. And 
the group classes we have i mean we'll have like on average anywhere from like 12 to i think i think on tuesday we had like 27 people and it was just insane it's like organized chaos it's like it's 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 pretty sick dude like like it's like everyone's working out we have like we have like four interns working with us we got my staff going we have like a volunteer or two running around it and we have this everyone's working out everyone gets their sets in and whenever people come to our group classes they get a full body exercise we work on upper body push pull lower body push pull core strengthening um coordination balance and we spike their heart rate once every time they come to a group class that's good. Yeah. So the, the structure of your staff is you're getting, do you have several coaches and then in addition, a few interns as well and volunteers? So right now it's uh, me and my manager, Andrea. Her and I have been working together a long time. She was actually an intern of mine when I was a health and fitness director at a day program before I started my business. So her and I, what we do is we just train everybody. We just train them brand like when they come in, we train them. We put them in situations where they can succeed so that way our athletes can succeed. And so, for example, we'll have stations. And so we will train them how to run a certain station. And we'll, like, we, start, we, put them, we start them off a little small, say, hey, we want you just to focus on how to do this exercise. And then we want you to implement this exercise properly, making sure their breathing is correct, making sure they're going through full range of motion, making sure they're engaging their muscles properly. And um, another huge thing that I feel like is just overseen is just, the uh, the quality of exercise. Um, we just we, it's like we just we just scream it the whole time. We're like we're insane about it. It's like quality, not quantity. We want to make sure they're moving correctly. Everyone needs to move, and like disability or not, if you're doing something with crap form, you're gonna move like crap. So we need to make sure that our people with disabilities who are already susceptible to motor dysfunction, low muscle tone need to they need to really focus on their form so it's super important and i think that um we've seen uh a lot of i like you know i'm not obviously not gonna say anything about other people but like i've seen like on instagram and stuff i've seen other people trying to do what we do and it's like and we see people like they're they're giving maybe a really good effort but the uh, exercise isn't being effective and it's, I think, um, people that are in our shoes that are trying to work with individuals with disabilities really need to take a step back and regress the exercises and stop putting so much stress on the individuals and really focus on making sure that the form is correct because they're just going to put those individuals in a situation where they're going to they're going to strengthen those muscle imbalances. Yeah, I think one go of ahead, my one of my biggest gripes. Um... I try not to be cynical because I think every opportunity for people with disabilities to be more active is a net positive, but like using disability as an excuse for like accepting like subpar performance and subpar like coaching, like yeah. I think that they're just going to check the box and uh, that that's sufficient or they're just like, I see it actually just as much on like LinkedIn through a few popular like adaptive fitness instructors, just like couple people with down syndrome sitting next to a stationary bike and they're like both like turning the pedal with their hands and then it's like oh applaud so and so for working out they're doing such a great job and it's just clearly just trying to like drive engagement uh but that that's like an inadvertent consequence of that is just everyone sees that and they're like wow that's i guess that's what people with disabilities can do and the expectation just becomes like lower and lower 
Uh, and so I think that's like my, Dude, my biggest concern is like rewriting that narrative and trying to get people to expect more out of those with disabilities, but also like having the tools to like safely progress them through exercise. Yes. Yes. I, you, you said it really well, man. Um, cause you'll, we'll see these individuals and like, for example, like you'll see the guy next to a stationary, stationary bike and he's like pushing the pedal or something. It's like, he's not doing anything. Right. And if he was doing it, he's not doing it right. And it's like, First of all, those individuals, individuals that are posting that and using it for engagement online, you're just, if you're listening to this, you're, uh, you're just enabling the stereotypes. You're not helping the community at all. You're just, like, Absolutely. It's, 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 it's moving backwards really. And so like, and like, I've seen it before, like, like these, they'll get these, they'll get these super, um, viral videos and it's like, that is like the worst form I've ever seen in my life. It's crazy. So yeah, it's tough. Ahead, like as as someone that works with a lot of people with disabilities in the fitness space it's always tough to like find that balance between like sharing my clients successes but not feeling like i'm like using them for engagement uh so like i want to celebrate what they're doing well but i also don't want it to be because it always it always shifts to like wow brendan you're doing such a great thing by like training people with disabilities and i'm like no like that's not what i'm trying to show you like <laughs> it's not a noble act like i'm not trying to draw any attention to myself but people always just gravitate to like that idea that like wow this is such great work you're doing i'm like no i don't want you to see the work that i'm doing i want you to see the work that this athlete is putting in uh, and it's not like supposed to be inspirational because they have a disability it's like it's supposed to be inspirational because despite their disability, they're still training a lot harder than so much of the population. So it's always that tough, like putting content out, uh, finding that balance between like demonstrating competency, uh, but not having it turn into just some like inspirational narrative. Uh, it's been a tough balance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can hundred percent relate to that because, and first of all, just just as as a brother with someone who has special needs it is it is a good thing we're doing it is a good thing it's it, it's something that not a lot of people are doing so like like i like and i appreciate what you're doing like as a brother but someone who has someone with down syndrome like it is important what we're doing like it is this is somewhat of a noble act because no one is else doing it so like i appreciate you for doing it brendan like seriously um but for like the, the the instagram thing like it it's I, I'm so bad at it, dude. Like, like, and I, like, when I say I'm bad at it, like, I mean, like, like, I know, like, the thing is, like, if I wanted to be good at it, if I want to focus on it, I could do it. But my thing is, it's like, I have so many of my athletes who are just, they're just working their ass off and they just try so hard. And I'm just, I'm not just there with them, either whether it's a group class or a personal training session. And it's like, I was like, I want to be there with them in the moment. I don't want to like. Is it, I don't want to whip my. It's hard to whip my phone out and be like, okay, like I know you're going to this breakthrough moment, but I want to like. I want to hold on. Let me film you. Like, let me film you have an emotional moment. It's like, no, I want to be there with them. So like, I don't know. I post like I don't know, like, maybe like three times a month. I'm offline. Yeah, the only like the only know. way that I've found to be able to create consistent content is to like have someone there filming for me. It like it makes it not genuine. Like you said, if you're if you're training someone and then you're like, wow, this is going great. Let me film. Like the only way I've been able to like consistently create content over the last five or six months is because I did hire someone to like manage oh, yeah. that job. And I think it's important to, to get that footage. Um, and I've found myself using it in a lot of different scenarios, whether it's posts or integrating it within educational videos. So it's good to have, but like you said, it's, 
the people that are making a lot of content on their own typically aren't the ones that are like coaching a lot. Um, so for you and I being like <laughs> the ones that are running a lot of sessions, we almost have to outsource yeah, that man. social media side of things because we're too busy with actually working with athletes. Yes. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. And, um, I don't know, maybe I'm answering this, like, your question better now, but so like for our group classes, we'll do through our five locations of group classes. We have like, I think it's eight classes a week. And then I do personal training. I actually do it out of my garage. I turn my garage into a gym, super uh, accessible for everyone, uh, especially me. <laughs> and uh, so like all like, <laughs> like, you know, I'll do my morning. Usually I'll try and get like a jujitsu session in at, like 6 a.m. or something, come home, do breakfast, whatever. And then start doing sessions at like 9 a.m. And then from like 9 to 1, do personal training sessions and then like from two to six we'll do group classes and like the thing about our group classes is we actually will do so i know you have no relative like our uh understanding of like where am i when i say fullerton or brea or anything like that so say we'll do like a group class a and we pack up and then we drive 20 minutes and we and we set up at group class b and so that'll take and like what doing that is like it's like a it's about two hours like so like just like i always like give it like, give it me and my staff a little bit extra time so we'll do group class a um so we, we we get there we set up run the class pack up go to group class b get there set up run the class and we pack up and we're done around like 6 p.m and then i head back back to my pad and i do like another two two sessions maybe i'm done at like 8 8 30 at night so i mean they're long days but um I love what I'm doing. It's like, uh, it's pretty cool. And I think working with individuals with disabilities is, uh, it's like one of the, it's like one of the coolest things, like, cause they're, you're working with people that not everyone gets a chance to. And like, I think people are always like, Oh my God, that must be like so hard. Or I'm like, dude, like I'm working with like some of the sickest people in the world. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like these, like, they, like, these are literally like, like these are people that like no one else gets to work with. I was like, I was like, you guys are looking at it a different way. So, I mean, I, it's just, and I, I'm, I feel like you have like a similar feeling. I don't know, maybe not, but I think, um, I think it's just like, it's something that is just super unique and that a lot of people, they, they just don't even see it. Yeah. Like 15 years as well. Uh, like you had that first experience at a camp. I had my first experiences through special Olympics and best buddies in high school. And it like just kind of molded my, um, approach to my career and, I met individual Jacob with Down syndrome and autism when I was 16, started becoming his PCA when I was 19, and now he lives with my wife and I every weekend. Uh, so I can definitely relate to like the you having a sibling with Down syndrome. I more or less have this kid who's been a part of my family for the last 11 years uh, with Down syndrome as well. And like I just want to see exercise become more accessible for people like him and just like more opportunities. Um, I was curious, like, are you, how do you find those locations that you have the classes at? Are they strictly outside or? Yeah. Uh, so good question. Cause, um, so first of all, it's super cool what you're doing for that dude. Uh, is it Jacob? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, and like, first of all, before we get there, I just want to point out, like, I always, like, I always have like a, a special place for people that, um, don't necessarily, like, so like individuals that work with people especially needs of it they don't have it in their family it's like for me it's like 
I can't imagine. I like if 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 my sister April was in my life, I have a hard time believing I would have <laughs> be in this industry. You know what I mean? Sure. So I, I so people like that are doing it. Just like they're just like just people that saw it and like, oh, this is cool. I'm like, I I I I really I really uh, applaud you guys. Um, but for group classes, so what we do is like it's it's actually it's actually kind of tough. So we do have like two out, outside locations and we only do that on Saturday. But what we do is like we, it's because it's, it's like, it's one of those things where sometimes people, they don't want people with disabilities in their location. We've been kicked out of like, I don't know, like five places. And it's like, and they, they're like, oh, they, they never give like a real reason. It's like, okay, I got it. I get, I, <laughs> loud and clear, got you, bud. So it's like so like we're like uh, churches are really cool. We've had we've had like but like now the people that we are working with are awesome. They're great. I'm very thankful that we have like great relationships with these people. So we have like two churches, one gym, um, a uh, so a dance studio. So it's you know, and then it's just, and then we do a park. I don't know, like. I'm just waiting for it to get, to get kicked out of that, I guess. I don't know, but it's like, uh, <laughs> it, 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 but like the, it's so like, I'm like stepping on my words, but what's super important is just finding people that understand what you're trying to do because we've worked even with people that are in the same industry, but they didn't see what we're trying to do. They're like, you're like, they're like, oh, you're just, you're just doing a workout class. I'm like, no, it's like, it's so much more than a workout class. Like we're literally trying to change these people's lives in the future. Like we're trying to make sure that these people are set up for success. We're not just, it's not just a workout class. Like for you, when you go to a workout class, it might just be a workout class for you, but we're not doing just workout class. This is like a, yeah, it's super fun. And we got like good music going and everyone's like having a blast, but this is this is serious stuff we're doing here. And when people see what we're trying to do and like they see like a little insight, they're like, oh, okay, we want you guys here. We want to help you out. Like, you know, people offer like, okay, we'll just do it for free. I'm like, no, 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 come on. This is a this is a partnership. We'll pay you still. Yeah. And I think it's important to pay people because that way you can still have you got some you got some uh spit in the game instead of just being able to, you know, let people do whatever they want with you. Yeah, that's a that's another thing where like I feel like are you a for profit or a non profit? Um, so I have BC Adaptive Fitness, which is a for-profit company, and I have a National Adaptive Fitness Foundation, which is a non-profit company, which and we just does, started. We just launched it last August. And what does the non-profit do? So what we're trying to do with the non-profit is, one, we're trying to um, allow individuals with disabilities um, access and funding for adaptive fitness programs. So... And we're not just trying to like do it for BC Adaptive Fitness. We want to go all over. We want to do it for companies like, like you know, like I want to like want to help people like in your in your neighborhood. Mm. You know, people that are like, hey, I want to go work out with Brendan, and they can't afford it. We want to send money to you guys. We want to like get you guys hooked up. We want to make sure that your like you know Jacob's friend can make sure he can go to the gym. Mm. Excuse me. Yeah, and I then, think um, it's I think it's important. Uh, I think it's important that like some inclusive fitness businesses function as for profits. And I think it's important to demonstrate that like the inclusion of people with disabilities can be a profitable endeavor. Uh, like my gym is a for profit mm -hmm. entity, AdaptX, this podcast, our education is a nonprofit. So I have a similar structure to you in terms of like having a branch that can provide some funding and having a branch that does education based and then the non or the for profit uh, brick and mortar facility, like the actual classes, the actual sessions. And we don't work with only people with disabilities. Um, about a quarter 
of our 250 members have disabilities and the rest are high school collegiate athletes, general pop adults, etc. So try to make it like as inclusive as possible. So it's all populations like seamlessly coexisting. But I think it's important for for profits to realize that catering to people with disabilities can be beneficial for their businesses. So like when you say like some gyms don't want you there, uh, that's, that's just like that just kind of sucks because they don't really realize the value proposition of it. I was curious, have you ever considered like opening your own space that's kind of central to the different areas that you work in? Totally. I've, uh, I've, I've always considered it. It's just so expensive. California is nuts. Mm-hmm. It's insane how much everything is. It's literally wild. Like, <laughs> um, um, So you, you actually said a few things that I want to touch touch on like that will actually look I mean, might answer some of your questions that you just asked me um so you said so first of all you said that you wanted to demonstrate that working with people with disabilities can be a for-profit company that's crazy because i've never heard anyone else say that and that's something that was just a thought in my head when i first started my company i was like i'm not doing nonprofit. i'm doing a for-profit because i'm sick of all these stereotypes that people with disabilities are just like we need to help 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 like no like we're freaking people like come on you know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's cool to hear. Uh, I like to hear that. Um, and, uh, I'm going to say it was, um, maybe about the opening your own some, space. Yeah. It, so it was, and, and also going back to like, um, I would like to ask you actually about, uh, and I'll, I'll get back to the opening of my own space. So like, have you ever, like, do you guys work at regional centers at all? Uh, what do you mean by regional centers? Government funding? Uh, no, we don't get any government funding. We have some uh, programs like they have programs as well as uh, special education schools that send classes to us. But outside of that, it's all just a private sector. Uh, a lot of our young adults with disabilities are still either supported by their families or maybe they have like flexible savings um, or flexible spending for their 22 plus budget and they're able to build the gym into their uh, into that funding. But I don't work directly with any funding sources. Um, we whether you have okay. whether you're a wheelchair user that requires basically one to one for our coach or you're a high school athlete that's relatively independent, uh, you pay the same price based on frequency um, to train with us. So, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, um, kind of try and tie everything in together. Um, so like our, our nonprofit, uh, so we're doing three things. I answered the first one, this, uh, mentioned the first one, excuse me. The second part is what we're trying to do is we're also trying to create a, a community of, adash, of adaptive fitness professionals nationwide. So we want to be like, we create a community. And so that way, like we're trying to get all on the same page, trying to talk about what we talked about earlier. And trying to make it like create like a stringent, a stringent program so that people with that are in our field they know it's like hey like we have a we, we gotta do things right um, like a big thing that I've been like focusing on is like um, recognize the effort make sure it's effective and then it'll be efficient and be efficient because like if if someone has good if they good effort but the exercise isn't there that's not effective. If they if they're not being effective, we're not being efficient. So, um, so like if someone is doing an exercise and they're doing it poorly, hey, that was a really good effort, but let's do it like this. Let's let's take it back a step. 
Um, and then, so going back to non, uh, so our nonprofit, we're also trying to um, influence the DDS, so the Department of Disability Services. We actually are trying to conduct research so that we can influence them so to create a health and wellness sector so that people like you and me can get funded um, or vendored so that individuals that can come to us and they don't have to pay out of pocket. They can, they can do, they can have access to these programs that are going to just really change their lives in the best way possible. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think after this, we should uh, create a communication between ourselves and relationships. So that way I can work with you and I can make sure that you can, um, keep your people on a list. And so, you know, if you got a list of people like, Hey, they can't afford it. I'm like, okay, let's figure out how we can get you guys some money. Let's get you guys do some fundraising. So that way you can get people on like off your list and into your gym. Cause like, and it's, you know, it's like, it's the, it's the government, um, not knowing what to do. And so what we want to do is we want to create research so that they can, we can kind of show them like, Hey, this is what we can do. It's going to improve their quality of life. It can actually reduce caregiver burden which is a technical term. I'm not just saying that. Yeah. Um, it's what the government calls it, caregiver burden. Reduce caregiver burden, reduce costs in the future. So there's a lot of things that we can come out, that can come out of that by trying to create a health and wellness sector. Yeah, a place like DDS government. might not, like they might not know that programs like ours really exist to like serve their clientele. So it might not be like they're not willing to do it. They might just see that there's not enough spaces because then everyone might start coming. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but then people that aren't really qualified, aren't really sure what to do, might start coming out of the woodworks and trying to leverage that funding. Um, so kind of like you said, like I, for the AdaptX course that we teach, we're trying to create a large database of certified professionals who are competent and qualified to work with people with disabilities. So then um, like on our website, we have a directory. So you type in your zip code and it kind of gives you a listing of who the closest person who's completed our course is. So that's kind of a similar project okay. that, that you mentioned that trying to like just create a large community of people that are both passionate, but also um, excellent, like adaptive fitness instructors as well. So, Yeah, I, 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 I looked into your, uh, your uh, certification. It looks, it looks solid, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's, that's really cool. That's, I'd be happy to, happy to give you great. access to it it's if you want to take a look. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I just peeked on like Instagram and stuff and I'm like, this is cool. Cause this is, this is something that, um, I, I will, I'll create my own eventually, but I think, uh, like you're definitely setting, setting the bar high for that. And that's super cool. It's like, cause it's, it's not, it's not out there and people need to know. And like, and like, and it just something as simple as like understanding multiple sclerosis, understanding Down syndrome, like that's like so important and people just, they, they don't even think about that stuff. And that's what, like, and so I saw that. I'm like, that's sick. Like, that is, that's cool as hell. How are you doing that? So right, well, I'll give you props on that, dude. Enough, enough about me, though. So maybe let's go back to, uh, <laughs> let's go back to, like, uh, whether you have any ambition maybe to open a facility. Yeah. Um, Slash, how can I convince you to open a unified health and performance in California? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's just, it's like, I'm down, but, um, I mean, gym ownership is not some people, I feel like some people think gym ownership is like the pinnacle 
uh, but it's really not. And I think sometimes people get into owning a gym because they like working out themselves and then they realize owning a gym is 75% just managing people and making sure the admin side is, is uh, dialed in. So I certainly by no means think that like owning a gym <laughs> is peak career success. Like if you're, if you're training people mm. all day, you're improving lives, it's financially uh, supports the life that you want. Like the risk that's yeah. associated with opening a facility and uh, like absorbing all that overhead isn't necessarily going to be the right choice unless the social, like the economics makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's so many things going on when you ask me that, I'm like, that's why I don't even know what to say first. Uh, I mean, like right now, everyone's trying to push back, like in California, like in like Orange County is not as maybe like, um, they're, they're not going to fall into it as soon as the other places, but everyone's trying to push like mask mandates and stuff. And I'm like, dude, are we doing this again? Because obviously I want everyone to be healthy and safe. But if we bring that back and it's like, we open a brick and mortar, if you get shut down, I'm like then we're paying rent and we go like, you know, we go back to working out in the park. And it, it's, it's just, it's really tough because we don't know what's happening above us. And if, other people have a say on what we do. I just, I don't like the idea of that. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to say I'll have something. Um, I definitely would love to have something. And I, I think what I would actually do is I would create a facility with a nonprofit, create like an adaptive lab somewhere we can, that we can continue to build research and then also um, maybe uh, train some people and then also hold some group classes, but then we still want to maybe make it like a hub location so that we can still branch out and reduce that barrier of access for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So we can still go out in different communities and instead of just saying, hey, you got to come to come to us because that's just not realistic for a lot of people. I and mean, we want to make sure that we can be there for people instead of just saying, this is the only spot that this happens. Yeah. We want to be like, oh, hey, it's actually only 10 minutes from here. Yeah. So, yeah yeah absolutely no i and that's where like i have my gym in the small area of massachusetts we can serve people within a 30 minute drive radius um but then my goal as a whole is to help as many people with disabilities as possible become healthier so it's like my way of doing that initially was like the course we created help more people start programs like ours run programs like ours but now it's kind of like the more physical locations we could come up with the more places there'll be for people with disabilities to train. And I also think it's important for a lot of our clients without disabilities as well to like see that, uh, to like be in the same environment as people uh, with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So they can kind of, so their perception of disability changes. Um, like I got a really nice letter from one of our college athletes before he just left for school. And he was, um, it was very, it was like really vulnerable. He was like, I joined your gym in seventh grade. I was a bully in sixth grade. And now he's like one of the volunteers, like in some of our adaptive classes. And he was like, just being exposed to that environment and seeing all those people completely changed how I saw differences. Um, so I think like brick and mortar environments that are cohesive and are inclusive are really important for like kind of rewriting some of those narratives. So not to push you in one way or the other, but I think, um, a gym that trains people with and without disabilities simultaneously, uh, can be a really good, uh, source of change for communities, at least in my small experience. 
that, I mean, that, that's super cool to hear that. And, um, it's, it's something that we've always, we've always talked about. And it's just something that we haven't really pulled the trigger. It's, it was like, we've had, we just have so much, um, we just have so much work going on already. So it's like, I'm like, I don't even know where like, we would fit it in. Yeah. And like a big thing right now that we're dealing with is just trying to find people to hire. I can't like, we've been, we, we've, we've, and, and like people like, I don't mind training people at all, but so like the way I look at it is like, you either need to have an exercise background or you either have trained people, exercise background, exercise science background, preferably, um, or you need to know how to work with people with disabilities and I'll teach one or the other. If you're open, like, you know, it's like, I don't mind teaching at all, but just finding people, it's been tough, it's been yeah. tough and no one wants to work. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's tough. I, I can definitely relate to the um, uh, struggle of finding coaches that are really solid. I got two awesome full-time coaches here now that um, make a lot of the burden of my work a lot easier, but without them, uh, it would be a lot tougher to, to run the facility that we run. Uh, maybe we wrap up a lot of these conversations with the question, like, what do you think needs to be done to make fitness more accessible for people with disabilities? Um, I think the biggest thing is educating individuals. So that way people like that wanted to be in like our shoes can know what to do when they go to train people. Um, I think the biggest issue is individuals that want to go and help people with disabilities don't necessarily know what to do. And I think another huge aspect to that is educating families and parents and saying how good it is for individuals with disabilities to exercise so specifically like people with down syndrome i don't know if you're familiar with this but there is the early onset of alzheimer's disease dementia are you familiar with that yeah one of um, our research coordinators yeah. is, is kind of leading the charge in that at kansas state <laughs> oh cool cool yeah i mean obviously it's not uh the coolest thing to talk about, but it's something serious. Yeah. And so here, I'll put this out here. Something when I, when I was uh, when I was uh, wrapping up my master's program, kind of did some uh, A plus B equals C research. And so typical, and this is a little fishy on this. I'm not 100. So like uh, typically developing people when they get Alzheimer's disease, a lot of it, um, the plaque deposits happen in their um, temporal lobe, um, in their in their brain. Um, and there's another part too. I'm just blinking right now. And then, but people with Down syndrome, they have a high accumulation in their frontal lobe of the plaque deposits. They also saw that physical activity is the only thing to reduce, mitigate, or even suppress the onset or the progression of Alzheimer's disease, dementia, plaque deposits. With that being said, Resistance training is a form of physical activity. Resistance training specifically targets the frontal lobe where people with Down syndrome have a high accumulation of plaque deposits. So that's kind of like the way when I, when I found, when I kind of put that together, I was like, wow. Resistance training specifically is so important for people with Down syndrome. It's like, it might be like almost like the golden ticket to improving their quality of life because I think what, like in early 1900s, like the average age of someone with Down syndrome was like, what, like 12? Yeah. No. But now with modern medicine, we're, yes, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, modern medicine, we're able to 
were able to do heart surgery. My, my sister's had two open heart surgeries. Um, when she was before she was ten, she was hospitalized five times with pneumonia, and when she was twenty-two or something, she had a pacemaker put in, and that's all modern medicine. So now, like, and that's great. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, obviously it's great, but now we have to do the other end. How are we going to make sure that their life is good? How are we going to make sure that they can have a good life? How can they make sure that they live longer? Yeah. Um, exercise, 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 and lifestyle. Making sure they're eating healthy, um, just like every, just like anyone, just like anyone. And it's it's it's. I feel like it's so crazy that we have to force this. And it's not it's not force it, <laughs> really push it. Yeah. But it's it's so important just to have a good lifestyle and just eat yeah. healthy, exercise moderately at least. So. I think people are surprised when they kind of find out that there's more similarities and differences on training people with and without disabilities and like how you set up exercises, how you set up the environment, how you cue is going to differ a little bit based on the, the client's cognition and uh, their motor skills. But at the end of the day, like good strength conditioning is good strength conditioning, um, whether you have a disability or not. And um, I wholeheartedly agree with the Down syndrome stuff. We're about to submit a grant proposal for a study on high intensity resistance training in clients with Down syndrome. Um, and so we're hoping that gets funded, um, early 2024 so we can run the intervention. Um, so yeah, it's something maybe I'll, maybe I'll pick your brain or kind of loop you in on some of that stuff if it's anything that interests you. But I think the, the conversation was great and it's, um, I love that there's other programs out there, uh, that run quality and, uh, that really like care about the quality and not just the access, but also uh, the products that they put out there. So uh, it's great that you kind of hold that to a high standard, really well aligned with uh, what I hope to see and what I want to accomplish uh, with my work as well. So uh, Brad, I appreciate kind of having you as, as a part of our connections now. And if we can send any people your way in California, then um, that would be great. So. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was great talking to you. Um, it was great hearing uh, kind of echoing what you said like someone that's trying to create the access and uh, keep the quality control so it's um it's really cool talking to you and meeting you dude because yeah. i think we, we need we need more people that are doing things that you know you and i are doing and making sure that there's just doing it right so, um, so. hopefully hope something that's uh, wonderful encourage people yes yeah and i hope we can hope we run into each other someday yeah, no. likewise. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'll be sure to um, share some links to your work and profiles in the show notes. Um, and we will be sharing the episode in the next few weeks. So, uh, Brad, thanks again for joining me. All right, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, man. You too. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about Adaptex, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptex.org. Until next Monday.